I'm Lawrence Carroll, and welcome to Two Question Tuesday. I'm the author of ETS for the Long Run, Dividend Stocks for Dummies, and a contributor to Forbes.com and Barron's. Each week on Two Question Tuesday, we randomly pick and answer two questions from clients of Focused Wealth Management. This week's questions will be answered by Phil D'Angelo, Managing Director of Focused Wealth, and Michael Passante, the firm's Director of Financial Planning. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Morning, Larry. Good morning, Mike. How are you guys? Good. Great. How are you? Good. Thank you. Well, as you can see, Phil is in Italy again this week, and he's going to continue to act as our international correspondent and tell us what's going on in Europe. Well, what's going on in Europe is very exciting. The euro hit $1 early this morning. For the first time in 20 years, the exchange rate between the euro and the U.S. dollar has reached parity, meaning the two currencies are worth the same. It's now down about 12% since the start of the year. So, Phil, here's the question. What is the euro? Why is the euro reaching parity with the U.S. dollar? What does this say about the European and global economy? And should we be concerned? So, in terms of a concern for us, no, I, I would not be concerned. Um, in terms of why did it reach parity? I mean, first of all, uh, it's the energy story and the energy story directly related to inflation. So, you know, as, as much slack as we've given the U.S. Federal Reserve here uh, for raising rates uh, so so much, uh, in Europe, they haven't really had those policy accommodations. They, they weren't able to do that. So they kind of had to back off. Um, and energy has really, really roiled the picture here. Again, uh, gas at $8 a gallon, if you go through the math, uh, U.S. dollars, uh, extremely expensive. So um, with the pipeline uh, being shut off or going to be shut off soon, uh, really puts a crimp uh, in, in their energy prices. Uh, don't forget, we raised rates um, very promptly, very quickly. The EU did that, but then because of the energy spike, they had to kind of back off. Um, so the U.S. remains the cleanest, dirtiest shirt. You know, look, go back to go back to like 2002. So, so this has happened three times. First of all, the dollar euro parity. Uh, it's 20 years ago, 2002. But the other time that stands out in my mind is 1985, uh, when the dollar was at such a high level. So 85 was probably the highest dollar value ever. Then you have 02, and then you have now. So the dollar has been incredibly strong globally. Uh, again, because our Fed is raising rates, we have a, a decent interest rate, right? We have a very strong, despite the short-term headwinds, despite the markets, a very strong economy. Uh, you got jobs numbers coming out, so we'll see where that goes. But we remain the cleanest, dirtiest shirt. With that said, the European central bankers lack the policy accommodations uh, that we have, and energy is a big headwind, especially if you look at percentage uh, to their budgets. You also have some weak nations, uh, such as the one I'm in, Italy, uh, with 150% uh, deficit to GDP, large amount. Um, now, take a look at the EU and take a look at some of the stronger nations, particularly Germany, large exports uh, that should uh, help in this environment, having a weaker currency. If I'm an executive you know, throughout the world and I can buy, a, again, all things equal, not not talking about Boeing specifics or Airbus specifics, but all things equal. If I have to buy a jet, now that the euro is at par, you're going to buy an Airbus, you're going to buy a Boeing for your dollar, you'll, you'll buy what gets most. So, you know, long term, maybe this will help the exporting countries of Europe, um, but the importing, uh, you know, is, is going to be a little bit tough. And um, I think that the eurozone has uh, definitely some demographic challenges and some energy challenges. And because they can't raise rates as quick as us, 
that's what's going on. Is there value being created? Um, there is value being created. You look at the Vanguard uh, ETF, the, the VGK, the Vanguard European Index. It's got a yield on it right now of close to 4.5%. Do I think this is over? No, but dollar to dollar, you very rarely seen. Maybe it goes to 95 to the dollar, Euro 95 to the US dollar, but 5% away, I don't know. I think long-term, if you have very little uh, European exposure now, is probably a good time to start adding uh, some great names with some great dividends. Purchasing power parity, the Big Mac index. Where on the world, though, with the dollar the strong, can you buy the most Big Mac for your buck would be the yen. Uh, in Japan, um, you know that that still is trading worse versus the dollar of any major currency. So that's even cheaper than the eurozone. Uh, so you're you're getting real values uh, in Japan as well right now. Again, long term, tough demographics. I don't know if I like that as much as I like some of these European plays that could be out there. Um, but uh, interesting times. Uh, there is money to be made on this long term. And uh, I think for a value investor, um, you can certainly find some value with some good yields and get paid while you wait. Yeah, without I, I, you hit on a lot of really good points there. And the one other thing, it, 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 I think a lot of it has to do with yields. You know, most of the time, money will gravitate toward the healthiest slash highest yielding environment, and that's still the United States right now. There's still the European Central Bank has been slow. They haven't been able to raise rates because inflation has been so bad over there that while our Federal Reserve has been hiking rates and there's a lot more rate hikes priced into the system by the end of the year, there are still rate hikes priced into the ECB, but they're basically going to catch up to us by the end of the year. So it's a lot of rate hikes priced into a really narrow time period, which is not a healthy environment for an economy that's weaker than ours, largely due to the tough. problems. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. And I mean, the and don't forget, to remember, <clears throat> look at look at the last and look at the last time around, right? Like, you know, no one eased quicker than us, bolder yes. than us, right? When you look at the financial crisis, and then this time, no one raised quicker than us and bolder than us uh, in, into this inflationary crisis. So uh, again, we give the, the Fed uh, a lot of slack, but I think uh, long term they're they're doing the right thing here. Yeah, they were slow to do it. They should have been doing it faster, so it was a little bit more progressive. And to to the point of like the currency movements, forty percent of all revenues of S and P five hundred companies come from international sources. So with the dollar being this strong, this is going to be a material headwind. You know, most of these companies will actually hedge out their currency exposure. So for global multinational corporations, you're looking at a haircut to earnings with the dollar being this strong. The one real big benefit that you're looking at with the dollar being as strong as it has been is due to the fact that most commodities around the world settle and are priced in dollars. So although the Federal Reserve can't really make inflation go down by precipitous rate hikes to you know create extra supply, what they can do is by raising rates so much on a relative basis to other economies around the world, if the dollar strengthens like this, it is a major headwind to uh, to inflation and commodities. So we're likely to see that not in the CPI print tomorrow, but next month because most and copper backing off like this, copper yeah. backing off like this is a good thing. You know, I, I think for the for the inflation concerns, right? Copper copper trending down is probably as long as the Fed doesn't uh, go too far now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Which they might. I, I think they're going to, but. I, I think they make mistakes on both directions. 
Okay, well, since you've moved from Europe to the U.S. and you're talking about interest rates, we can uh, let me ask you, what's going on in the housing market? The housing market's materially slowing. Um, well, I mean, it's cooling. It's I, I don't believe that we're going to see a substantial rollover in housing prices, but you're seeing the number of deals falling through, increasing, uh, ticking up a little bit. And you're also, Redfin publishes this data on a monthly basis. The number of houses that have actually lowered their asking price over the last three months has doubled, um, largely because we're not in a bidding war environment anymore. And it's two factors, if you really ask me. Um, it's not necessarily the fact that demand has slowed, because I think that that underlying demand is still there. It's largely due to a couple of weeks ago, the average rate on a 30-year loan throughout the course of the United States was over 6%. It's backed off a little bit now, and it's in the low to mid fives as of right now, as interest rates have begun to come back down. So you're seeing some volatility there ebb. Um, and when you consider that mortgage rates have largely doubled this year, the purchasing power of a lot of these individuals who are able to take out 30-year loans, you're paying more on a monthly basis. So you can't continuously offer above the asking price in order to secure a house. And I mean, secondarily, we've talked about how this has been, just in stocks and bonds, the biggest destruction of wealth in a short period of time ever from all-time highs uh, from a market cap perspective. When you take into consideration cryptocurrencies, it's even greater. So people are don't have the down payments that they did six to nine months ago or all cash offers six to nine months ago either. So that's slowing housing. And I mean, in addition to that, there are obviously people are talking about housing slowing down. So it's a bit of a psychological thing when people are- Hey, look, the cancellation rate, right? Contracts are being canceled at the quickest rate now since the start of the pandemic. Um, I think that's a pretty amazing statistic. Uh, the share of sale agreements on existing homes, is, uh, the cancellation rate in June was under 15% of all homes that were under contract. That's creeping up. That, that's a, yeah, you know, that's a data point to watch. As people hear about these data points, they're not going to run off the sidelines. They're just going to sit back and wait a little bit from a yeah. psychological perspective. So, I mean, I mean a year ago, that was like 10%. So you're talking about, you know, 50% increase in cancellation rates. Of yeah, contracts. that's about normal. But I mean, remember too, housing makes up about 42% of the CPI. So this is, the, this is the one area of inflation that the Fed can slow by raising interest rates is housing. So yeah. it seems like they've done the job there and housing has started to slow. It's going to slow inflation as well, but that's going to take more time to filter into the system because that is a recent phenomenon. Okay, guys, that was great. That was really informative. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at twoquestiontuesday.com. And we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care, guys. Thank you. Yeah, stay well.